Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We actually have a good martini, a legitimate good martini today. The bad and the crazy are really bad and really crazy. In fact, the crazy is pretty bad, too. But let's get to our good martini. They've been pretty rare lately, Jim, so let's dive right in. The U.S. Supreme Court has issued an order effectively forcing the Biden administration to restore the Trump administration's Remain in Mexico policy, which requires many asylum seekers to wait in Mexico while they await hearings on their requests for safe haven in the United States. The high court's order, issued on Tuesday evening over the dissent of the court's three Democratic appointees, rejected the Justice Department's request for a stay that would have allowed the controversial policy to remain on ice while litigation over President Joe Biden's effort to rescind it continues. The ruling is a victory for the states of Texas and Missouri, which sued over the repeal of the policy and won a ruling from a federal judge in Texas earlier this month. So, Jim, I'm a bit surprised that it happened this quickly, that they uh, actually decided to go and ratify the uh, lower court's decision, but I'm thrilled that they did so. I wish it would have happened several months ago before well over a million people have come into the country, many of them uh, claiming asylum. And I think uh, knowing that you would have to stay on the Mexico side while all of this gets sorted out, would have uh, created quite a disincentive for such huge numbers to come. But uh, better late than never. Greg, I think what jumped out to me is that uh, our listeners may remember that last year, uh, Supreme Court made a decision that refused to let the Trump administration rescind the Obama-era program protecting young immigrants nicknamed the Dreamers. And the attitude was, well, maybe you have the authority to do this, but you've done this in an arbitrary and capricious way. You haven't been able to justify it. You can't just change these things willy nilly. There's a procedure for this and you can't and you have to follow it. And you did not follow it such. And of course, you know, know, Trump administration was really upset by that. Democrats obviously were celebrating. And there was this attitude of, wait a second, you know, it's now the president uh, doesn't have the authority to rescind what his predecessor did. Well, now we're kind of seeing the flip side of that coin, the same kind of philosophy. And, you know, this, the brief unsigned order from the Supreme Court that came out recently just said the Biden administration has appeared to act arbitrarily and capriciously. So in other words, if there is a procedure for changing these things, I think, you know, dear Supremes, I'm really pleased with this decision. I think the problem is, is that a lot of our immigration policy is, in fact, arbitrary and capricious. <laughs> that's that's the root of the problem right there. You know, the other thing is that look, it's the, the remain in Mexico or the migrant protection protocols. If you are applying for asylum, you are endangered in your home country uh, from from violence, from threats from the government. You're a, a you know seeking political asylum or something like that. Northern Mexico is not where people are going to chase you and kill you. You probably are not in. Uh, at at risk of death squads and things like that. So you'll be safe there in Mexico. The U.S. government can evaluate the uh, validity of your claims. They can determine whether they think it's accurate, whether you deserve asylum. You get asylum, welcome to America. You don't get asylum, you have to stay outside. And this whole idea of, well, we're going to let you in and let you hang out here while we're we're trying to decide, not a particularly good system. And I'm glad to see that uh, at least some federal judges see this. Uh, Not surprised that Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan uh, ended up, you know, dissenting and being frustrated by this. But um, 
Greg, I have a feeling that considering the makeup of the court, they probably should get used to it. <laughs> well, I certainly hope so. It'd be interesting to see how quickly and how fully the Biden administration complies with this, given all the attention on Afghanistan right now and uh, eventually on their domestic agenda here. Uh, I can see them either slow walking this or uh, doing it half-heartedly and uh, making sure that it actually happens and happens in the way that it should is going to be critical as well. But good on the Supreme Court. Um, those nominations, uh, obviously, were very critical. And so uh, getting the right policy in place is, is very important going forward because, you know, a lot of those people, when they uh, catch them, they release them with a court date and they never show up again, uh, even if they are uh, claiming asylum. So uh, that system is clearly broken. But, uh, you know, what's not broken. Jim's chair, Jim's office chair. It's uh, doing wonders. It can uh, regulate his temperature. It can give him a rub down. Uh, Jim, the X chair is our sponsor today. And uh, you could not love it more from what I can tell. Yeah, although we should clarify, the chair, you know, generates heat, generates cool, so it can help regulate my temperature. It does not actually regulate my body temperature directly. I can't plug it into it and make sure that I'm at 98.6 or whatever it's supposed to be. Uh, look, I, I'm sitting in this chair right now. I sit in it every day. It is terrific. And I've been thinking just, you know, about like if I had to convince a friend to get it, I would say what I'm saying to you now, which is like, look, you spend a lot of time working at your desk and you know that if you don't if you don't have the right kind of chair, let's say, you know, you you're working at the kitchen table or, or some other spot you don't usually, you know, eventually you can feel it in your back and in your shoulders and sometimes in your arms and wrists. And, you know, it's just not. Uh, a circumstance is ergonomically correct for you. And so of all the things in your life where it's it's worth going out and getting the best, your chair is it because you're going to spend a lot of time in it. So this is just going to strike me as the easiest um, expense to justify there ever was. You know, you need to take care of yourself. You're going to work hard. You're going to spend a lot of time doing this. You're going to need the X chair. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I should point out, my friends have come over and and stared in envy uh, at it and talk about how it, I can't wait to show this off to Greg in person and watch him, you know, <laughs> salivate and, you know, say, no, please stop drooling on my chair. <laughs> That's exactly right. Jim is enjoying the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which is already the best in class, with incredible responsive low back support. And now with the Elamax feature, his comfort is guaranteed and so is yours. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. That just sounds really, really great. So go to X-Chair martini.com now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save $100 on your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Go to xchairmartini.com now and use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. Again, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, glad we had a good martini. Because the bad martini is really, really bad. And keep in mind that virtually everything we're reading here uh, in, in the setup for this second martini is from center to far left uh, media sources. They're all mainstream, but uh, some are further left than others. Starting here with the New York Times, U.S. officials believe that thousands of Americans remain in Afghanistan, including some far beyond Kabul, without a safe or fast way to get to the airport. Also, tens of thousands of Afghans who worked for the U.S. government over the past 20 years and are eligible for special visas are desperate to leave. And that's not going to happen uh, because uh, the Taliban said yesterday they don't want Afghans to leave. And from what we're hearing, 
the retrograde has begun at the airport and only green card holders and American citizens are being let through now. We'll see if that changes as the drawdown continues. Also from your morning jolt, Jim, as was the New York Times uh, excerpt there from the Wall Street Journal. Confusing bureaucratic hurdles have prevented countless people from leaving Afghanistan. Stacia George of the Carter Center says it's so frustrating to get high-risk people up to the gate and have them risking their lives to go there and you still can't get them through. It's a disaster in slow and fast motion. NBC News officials at non-governmental organizations that have operated in Afghanistan are growing frustrated with the Biden administration. There's been an outpouring. It's inspiring because the NGOs and other private outfits are getting all these people to the airport. But on the other hand, it's a damning reflection on the failure of the U.S. that private citizens are having to step in to do what the government, with all its billions and trillions, has failed to do. Over in Politico. The West Wing is looking increasingly disconnected from reality as the Biden White House strives to project a sense of calm competence, even as the Taliban tighten their grip on Afghanistan. The reality on the ground belies the narrative that the situation is under control. The scenes around Kabul airport have been marked by violence, disorganization, bureaucratic infighting and delays. The result is an administration that appears increasingly out of touch as reports from Kabul continue to reflect a chaotic evacuation. And so, Jim, Biden, five hours late yesterday, but came out and pretty much gave a statement that we've all heard before. And he's still claiming that, you know, this is the massively successful airlift. Uh, and we have gotten tens of thousands of people out. But uh, there's still a lot of people, uh, as, as, as people run the math, that are going to be stuck there, stranded, whatever word you want to use, come August 31st. Yeah, Greg, this, this might be the single most depressing morning jolt I've ever written. And it stemmed from waking up this morning and just wanting to get as complete a picture as possible of what's going on. And obviously, you've got the issue of the Taliban. It sounds like effectively they've now closed off all roads that lead to the airport. Um, the accounts of them not allowing Americans through are, are continuing to come through. The most importantly, clearly, they're saying uh, that there are lots that they're not allowing Afghans to get through. So it doesn't matter if you work for America. It doesn't matter if you're on a Taliban death squad. They're, they're basically just not allowing Afghans out. And you've got tens of thousands who uh, worked with our military, worked with our, uh, you know, non nonprofits, things like that. And, you know, apparently this, this you know, the, the 300,000 in imminent danger of being targeted by the Taliban. When the last U.S. soldier leaves, we're probably going to see a the mother of all massacres there. It, it's going to be epic, horrible um, a nightmare for the ages, probably nothing we've seen since the Syrian civil war. Um, well, I, I, I've heard, you know, in a better mood, I'd say something like, you know, when the Carter Center is saying you've abandoned Americans and done a terrible job in the Middle East, that's when you know you really have problems. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the accounts of those who follow terrorism say this is the return that every Islamist group has been yearning for. This is going to reinvigorate ISIS. This is going to reinvigorate Al Qaeda. Um, basically, Islamist fundamentalism just got this enormous boost in that. Um, the UK is basically openly acknowledged. Like, apparently, we did not want to partake in the G7 meeting this week because uh, you know Boris Johnson called it. The point was to get the mobilize the G7. They really wanted to stay in the country past uh, August 31st, and Biden basically you know shut that down and said, "No, we're not doing this." And it sounds like we had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, into even ha attending this meeting. Remember when it was going to say, oh, America is back and all that stuff. Um, and then just kind of two other follow on consequences of just how bad 
uh, like the conflict is absolutely terrible. The Taliban death squads that are going to be completely unleashed in the, you know, starting in September are going to be absolutely terrible. Throw in a famine, throw in just the total breakdown of all medical equipment and supply. There's just nothing coming in to the country. And you're just going to have a humanitarian disaster, the scale of which, again, I don't think we've seen since the Syrian civil war. And you may recall how that affected politics in Europe. Lots and lots of Syrian war refugees ended up going to Europe. And some people believe that there were ISIS members who kind of filtered in with them. It certainly made people much more uh, sensitive to the topics of immigration and refugees, whipped up this nationalism, whipped up this anti-immigrant sentiment. People in Europe, you know, whatever you agree with them, I think they, you, they can reasonably say they felt their governments were failing to deal with these problems of refugees from the Syrian civil war. And I guess we should throw in the Libyan civil war as well, going across the Mediterranean into places like Italy. We're going to get more of that. There's, there's really no reason to think that these people are not going to end up in Europe and you're going to see more waves of refugees and people are going to say, uh, I no longer trust my government to do this. We need a strong man to take care of it, all that kind of stuff. So if you think populism, nationalism, uh, nativist sentiments in Europe are bad, there's going to be more of it. Greek is now building more walls and establishing a high-tech surveillance system because they're afraid they're going to come in through Turkey. Um, none of these groups are Republicans, as you mentioned. None of these groups are, are right-wing. None of these people are reflexively critical of Joe Biden and his administration. You don't need to look to Trump. You don't need to look to Sean Hannity. You don't need to look to any of these folks. You know, any any the, the Democrats, the, the centrists, the international organizations, all of the ones who wanted to see us succeed in Afghanistan are saying this is going to be a calamity on a, on a, on a just a colossal scale. So the great irony, in the light of all that, the, there are people in the Biden administration, including the White House press secretary, who want to insist this is a success. If this is a success, Greg, I think failure would be what? The earth crashing into the sun? Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that we need this uh, frantic airlift in the first place is symbolic and emblematic of a massive foreign policy disaster that they refuse to acknowledge. So the gaslighting, which was actually in Politico's headline, uh, mm. that word uh, is just uh, off the charts right now. But uh, they've thrown their gauntlet down and, and, and they're going with this narrative. And as we'll talk about in the third martini, uh, this could get uh, even uglier in a number of different ways. I'm sure the press will go back to being cheerleaders for the left at some point. But uh, the fact that all of these outlets are just uh, screaming bloody murder and, and quoting people who are normally allies of the Biden administration, just pulling their hair out, shows just how bad this is. It's not just the right condemning Joe Biden. And of course, Jim, the Democrats are trying to distract the country with their domestic agenda. It's not going to work right now, and certainly not for the next several days and probably weeks. But nonetheless, the House is moving forward on infrastructure and the Democratic Christmas tree of $3.5 trillion, and it's really more than that, uh, of their uh, left-wing wish list where everything's free. Free childcare, free pre-K, free community college. Well, some of you, of course, had to actually pay for your higher education, and we know the free stuff isn't really free either. But for those of you with student loans, it's a great time to break out of the student debt cycle. Look, times are tough, and worrying about your student loan payments doesn't make things any easier. And that's where refinancing with Earnest could help. So say goodbye to stressful student loan payments and take charge of your future with Earnest. Earnest offers low-rate student loan refinancing, and you can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. Now, isn't it time you stop feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? 
You should, because now Earnest is giving Three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 bonus. So refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions do apply. But once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. Not available in all states. And terms and conditions apply. And don't forget about this. Earnest Student Loan Refinancing made by Earnest Operations, LLC. NMLS number 1204917. California Financing Law. License number 6054788. 535 Mission Street, San Francisco, California. 94105. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licenses. All right, Jen, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And we mentioned it was a follow-up to the bad martini. And that's the language we're hearing from the Biden administration. Uh, we're hearing it from the president. We're hearing it from Jen Psaki. We're hearing it from a number of different people in the uh, foreign policy, national security realm of the Biden administration. Here's the president. I believe this is from last Friday talking about his commitments to Americans in Afghanistan. Well, let me be clear. Any American who wants to come home, we will get you home. As we continue to work the logistics of evacuation, we're in constant contact with the Taliban, working to ensure civilians have safe passage to the airport. We are particularly focused on our engagements on making sure every American who wants to leave can get to the airport. Where we have been seeing challenges with Americans for, for Americans, we have thus far been able to resolve them. Wasn't true then, isn't true now. Here's Jen Psaki. I believe this was just yesterday. What do you say to the American citizen in Kabul that uh, Fox spoke to this morning? Her name is, Fa she's going by uh, Fatima. She says, we are stranded at home for four days, three days. We didn't hear anything from anywhere. And they're saying to go to the airport, but we're not being given clear guidance. Our emails are getting ignored. Well, why don't I convey to you exactly what we are doing? And I think what's important to note that I also said yesterday in the full context of my answer, which I put out today, uh, was that uh, we are committed to bringing Americans home who want to leave. And that is the president's commitment. And so she also pointed out that they have been in touch, allegedly, with every American in Afghanistan. But she admits that's only those who have registered. And she even invited reporters to pass along personal information of other people that might not have registered so the government can be in touch. Um, so, Jim, we keep hearing this over and over again. Every American who wants to leave Afghanistan will get out. The assumption being that if you can't get to the airport, which the U.S. can't guarantee, means you don't want to actually leave. And if that's the case, post-August 31st, the administration seems to have their talking point ready to go. At every step of this crisis, it has been the emphasis of this administration that it's not really a crisis, uh, that everything is going everything is going as they foresaw, and that nothing, none of this could have been changed, none of this could have been prevented. In fact, this is going as well as anyone could reasonably hope. Now, as we were talking, or as we're, as we're having this, taping this, uh, Greg, Alexander Marquardt, uh, who is a correspondent for CNN, who's over there in Afghanistan, has posted this picture to Twitter. You just basically see what looks like an almost entirely empty uh, interior of a passenger plane. There are a handful of people here. You, you can see here and there. And he says, this is an almost empty charter evacuation flight out of Kabul. It is one of three planes organized by George and Maria uh, Abi Habib to get 1,000 Afghans to Uganda. Many were blocked by the U.S. and the Taliban, and so the first plane with 345 seats only had 50 passengers. So the first thing is that there are lots of people who want to get out who are not getting out. Some of them are Americans, 
Some of them are Afghans. Um, some of them are, you know, almost all of them are under serious threat from the Taliban if, you know, they are stuck in that country uh, before the U.S. forces leave. Throughout the entire crisis, there has been this strange wording of the administration of we will get everybody out who wants to get out. I have a very hard time believing there are that many Americans who don't want to leave. Could I could I perceive um, church groups, aid groups, nonprofits who say my work here isn't done. I cannot leave. I can't leave these people behind. I, I'm sure I'm sure there are certain cases of that. But when they said 5,000, they began with like, you know, 10,000 to 15,000 Americans estimated in the country. They said they got out 4,400. Maybe that's up to like 5,000 now. It still leaves you at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 on the ground. I have a very hard time believing that of those remaining 5,000 to 10,000 Americans, that, you know, most, all, or even a significant portion of them don't want to leave the country. That they just, they're, they're just not going to the airport because they just don't want to. They're just not interested. They're perfectly fine under the rule of the Taliban. They've got no plans to leave. Everything we've been describing, we've been seeing and hearing on the ground says the Taliban are doing everything possible to prevent people from getting to the airport. Um, this fear, and I, I wrote this to in response to our Jack Butler in the corner yesterday, is this is being set up to say on September 1st, the Biden administration is going to say, hey, we got everybody out who wanted to leave. If you didn't get to the airport in time, clearly you weren't that motivated. You wanted to stay. It feels like preemptive spin. It feels like a preemptive excuse saying um, that anybody who's stuck in the country starting in September, you wanted to be there. You deserve to stay there. You get you deserve whatever you get. It's, you're not our responsibility anymore. And it is this, you know, layer after layer of shirking responsibility by this administration that is utterly appalling. And I think one of the things that is so the, the utterly tragic irony of this is number of people who voted for Joe Biden utterly convinced he was going to return responsibility to U.S. government and U.S. foreign policy. There wasn't really a great reason to think that. There was not a lot in his history to make you do that. But he was allegedly the elder statesman. I mean, he, he got the first part right. <laughs> um, but uh, all in all, basically, he was, you know, the idea was he was going to calm things down. He was not going to tweet crazily. He was going to get along with our allies and things would get, quote unquote, back to normal. What we are seeing in Afghanistan is not normal. And in fact, I think you could argue it is more calamitous than anything we saw under Trump. And Trump brought plenty of his problems uh, to the presidency. I'm thinking about the abandonment of the Kurds and various other, you know, the showy photo op uh, summits with North Korea and, and all that kind of stuff. But this is worse. This, this is going to be a problem we're going to be dealing with for a generation. And the idea that this is just kind of a shrug and the idea that at some point starting in September, the Biden administration is going to be arguing with journalists, arguing with members of Congress, arguing with the American public, saying that anybody who's still in there, look, they want to be there. And what could very well turn into a hostage crisis. It's just mind boggling, Greg. And uh, one of those days where you just kind of feel like the, the, you know, the earth is spinning off its axis. And this administration is, you know, so far utterly detached from reality that it leaves you speechless. It really is. It really is. The word Carter-esque has been uh, thrown out there, and that's never a place you want your foreign policy. Hey, Carter authorized a rescue mission. Yes, he did. He actually did. It'd go uh, well, but he authorized one. it. Yeah, he no, he no doubt did. And uh, Jimmy Carter's probably down there in Plains, Georgia, saying, hey, don't compare me to this guy. But... Uh, Wow. Anyway, let's hope it gets better. Let's pray it gets better. But right now, uh, given the developments we keep seeing day after day, it's only looking worse and worse. So, uh, Jim, we'll reconvene tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. 
Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch Podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends about us as well. We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Americans and our allies are getting out of Afghanistan. While the president remains clueless, an amazing network of people who refuse to abandon our friends and fellow citizens is getting things done. And I know because I'm in the middle of it. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll tell you about this ongoing effort and just how horribly the Biden administration is handling this crisis. This is information you need to know. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.